Welcome to TSG Talk. TSG Talk aims to contribute positively towards the care of an injured casualty or vulnerable patient. If your goal is to maximise your input for the people you care for, then TSG Talk is for you. Our podcast will interview colleagues who are at the cutting edge of their professions. Often they're involved in creating solutions for areas that historically have proven difficult or have a wealth of experience in a particular complex response. Each podcast will provide unique, engaging content. At TSG Associates, we will always strive to ensure our solutions are ahead of the curve and positively impact on the quest for prioritising survival and minimising suffering. We believe TSG Talk will complement our vision and provide a platform to enhance your response. It is my pleasure to now pass you across to our host, Senior Partner at TSG, Colin Smart. Earlier this year, we received news our Queen had sadly died after a lifetime of, of exemplary service to the UK, Commonwealth and many citizens throughout the world. I watched her funeral with a sense of great pride at the precision, dignity and professionalism with which it was carried out. It was truly the perfect mark of respect for our Queen. While I was watching, I also thought a lot about the planning behind the scenes and what medical challenges there must have been. To understand what was involved in the preparation and execution of the medical plan, we are privileged today to talk with Liam Lahan from London Ambulance Service, who was integral to this work. So good afternoon, Liam. How, how are you today? I'm good and good afternoon to you too, Colin. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, giving us the time today. I'm really fascinated about some of the, the stories you'll have behind uh, how you, you put this event together. So I really do appreciate the time that you're, you're taking to, to spend with us. Just, just before we go into the, the subject itself, Liam, could you just give our listeners a little bit of your own background, maybe, you know, your involvement in, the, in pre-hospital care and how you got into emergency planning and maybe just a little bit about some of the, the early work on the, on, the, on, on the Queen's funeral? So um, I've uh, worked for the ambulance service now for probably, or well, not probably, but coming up for nearly 30 years. Um, I, I started out actually... Um, when I left school in the health and social care sector, firstly working with the elderly and children that were in care and then learning adults and young people with learning disabilities. So that sort of gave me the grounding. Um, but I was also a volunteer with the Red Cross for many years from the age of probably around 14. So that sort of gave me a, a bit of an enthusiasm about first aid and, and those medical bits and, and some of the things that I did over those 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 years so so heavily involved so that's where my first part of experience came from in terms of ambulance and first aid so I was obviously um, so I say joined the ambulance service in 1994 uh, starting out as a what was then known as a trainee qualified ambulance technician and we've had very many titles over the years uh, and then I qualified as a paramedic in 1997 uh, so I'm probably one of the old school paramedics now um, and it's changed massively over those years. Um, as I said, I started out uh, doing emergency planning probably uh, around 1999. Um, and that was from a, a, a volunteer basis, as I said, with the Red Cross. And there'd been a, a big incident that occurred, the Paddington Rail disaster, in fact. And the, the Red Cross had received a call from the London Ambulance Service, as did St John Ambulance, around how we might be able to support them. Uh, and our, at that time, our response probably wasn't robust enough um, so that so that led to a bit of a review in London around what we would do and how we would provide humanitarian assistance and uh, ambulance provision to support uh, a, a crisis or an incident that occurred in London. So it, it just afforded me an opportunity um, to to get involved. So uh, I started to develop my skills and got involved with a number of major events because as a first aid provider, um, you know, we used to cover lots of big events across London. Um, and and that, that's where it sort of all began. Um, I was fortunate in, in 2006 uh, when I joined the London Ambulance Emergency Planning Team. But for a few years prior to that, I'd also had the opportunity to go on a secondment to the Health Protection Agency, as it was then, now UK HSA. Um, and I worked in London, the London regional team as an emergency planner, but then I also moved up into the, the Midlands and worked in the Midlands, which gave me a totally different perspective of, of London and not London. So it was a real, real good 
grounding an opportunity to see things you know it's it's all the same but it's it's very different if that makes sense and i know that sounds like a bit of a contradiction but 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 it is because the way of life is different the resource is different the landscape's different um and you know there, there's not there's not as many hospitals in in the counties as there is in london so so you, you you tend to take for granted all those those things um so I'll, I'll come back to London and uh, my time with the London Ambulance Service. I say I started off as an emergency planner. I got promoted to a senior emergency planner. Uh, I then became head of resilience and specialist operations and then assistant director for resilience. Uh, my current role is around blue light collaboration and transformation and engagement, uh, particularly with blue light partners and agencies, such as we saw during the funeral of Her Majesty the Queen. Um, and, and my role was about bringing all those aspects together uh, and ensuring that we've got robust arrangements in place. And, and you know, uh, it, it's not just me. I think that's what I would say. Uh, it's a whole team effort. There's a large team, I say a large team. Uh, it, it, there's a team of people that sits in the background that, that makes all these things sort of happen. You know, my other experiences are, you know, I've planned major events you know I was heavily involved in the uh, 2012 Olympic Games um, I've been involved in major uh, things such as uh, Notting Hill Carnival and New Year's Eve Remembrance Sunday at the Cenotaph and then a whole range of other events you know bike rides and uh, other activities that have taken place across the streets of London that also means I've also been involved in probably a major part of the major incidents that have not just major incidents but incidents that have occurred in London in the last two decades so you know 18 years in the emergency planning team you know an on-call role as a national interagency liaison officer as well as a specialist advisor at all levels strategic tactical and operational to support our people that are delivering that front-end response at an instant you know things such as you know the Croydon tram crash which the anniversary is in a few days time uh, the um, Grenfell Tower fire, uh, the, the chemical attack, so all very, very different that, that happened in the nightclub in Hackney uh, a particular evening. Um, and then various other things, you know, plane crashes and trains and automobiles, all the things that, that tend, tend to happen um, in, a, in a metropolitan city. Um, so yes, so it's quite varied, quite, quite extensive. And as I say, various various different roles you know on scene uh, as well as in the background you know I wasn't involved in every single instant but there's a role to play because there's a lot of debriefing and learning and lessons identified following any incident or event so it's it's about the whole process end to end in terms of preparing the plans delivering the plans and then learning from those those occurrences. Well, that's, that's what a fascinating career and it's, it's interesting that um, you probably got your bug for around about a 14 year old as probably similar to myself when I did my first <clears throat> when I did my first aid badge in the boys brigade that that's when I got my bug and, and it sounds like we're similar it's never really left us um, wow. which is which is good to hear no that that's um, I, I think um, what I've always found when I, uh, when I visit London and, and, and I work with your team is just the sheer intensity of crowd gathering events that go on in London um, and, and I, th I remember a couple of colleagues from London saying once, if you're in London Ambulance Service, it's not you may go to a major incident, as you will, and you will probably go to several throughout your career. I think there's just, you know, you've got that density of population, such a diverse level of hazards and risks occurring that then it's a very, it's, it's incredibly real. The, the sort of planning you have to put in place. That's what's always struck me about it. Although I, I, I absolutely get other places I've got there different hazards but I think London's just got that intensity um, absolutely it. yeah I think it's the infrastructure isn't it you know major transport hubs major national attractions uh, a, a, a population you know our population obviously it's changed in the last few years but you know we used to have seven million people that commuted into London every day mm. as well as the two or three or four million people that that lived here or were holidaying here, you know, as visitors, you know, it, obviously I say it's changed a bit, but there's still a large number of people that that descend upon London on a on a daily basis. But you mention events, but for all all different types of events, you know, sometimes they come together for football matches, sometimes they come together for cricket or rugby, other times they come together for concerts. So they they vary so much in their type, their dynamic. 
uh, and the purpose, why they're here, what they're celebrating, what they're attending. And, and each of those has its own set of unique challenges that comes with it. And so I suppose um, when we obviously heard about the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, you obviously had a very good platform laid for, for you know, crowd gathering medicine within London, just on what you deal with. But my, my, my general feeling with, with this event, it was probably bigger than, than anything else. Could you give us a sort of, let me know, it, would, would that be correct? But And if it is, could you give us an idea of just what sort of scale you were dealing with? I mean, what was, is there any way you can express what the, the size of the, the funeral was actually actually entailed? So I think it's fair to say <laughs> it's, 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 it was unique. You know, we haven't seen a state funeral of that nature for a, you know, what was a serving monarch, obviously since the Queen's father. So 70, over 70 years. Um, so there, that whilst there have been plans and we've got plans that have been developed over very many years, um, because that, that's what's expected, you know, it's not talked about, but you'd have seen over the years, the various leaks of information that, you know, result of the, the Bridges plan, because they're, you know, the, the Queen's particular plan was called Operation London Bridge. Um, and I say there was a, there was a, there was some foundation stones, I'd probably describe it had as that we've worked over with many of the partners in London and, and the Royal Household about what what we would expect, but that was also built on on others. So you know, back in two thousand and two, we had the the state funeral, not quite as as significant as the Her Majesty the Queen's, but Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother's funeral, uh, who who the Queen graciously afforded a state funeral to, but also the Baroness Thatcher. Um, when uh, when she passed away and the fact that you know she had a, a state funeral as a former prime minister um but slightly different to so operation true blue as that was called so all of those those various aspects sort of come into play and and and, and dare i even say that of his, his his royal highness the duke of edinburgh you know operation fourth bridge as we knew that whilst it, it didn't concentrate mainly on london there were various aspects that that had to be taken into account and and planned for as we do with every reigning monarch and member of significant member of the royal family uh, along with other VVIPs as we would describe them so yeah so, so, so definitely unique opportunity and I, and I guess what I would say uh, Colin is a, a, an ultimate privilege for all of us that that helped deliver that particular uh, 11 days I'd say uh, not just in London, but also in in other parts of the country, particularly Scotland. Uh, obviously, as as that's where it all began, um, and they handed the mantle over to London, who then then handed it over to Thames Valley and South Central Ambulance Service for that final part of Her Majesty's journey to be laid at rest at Windsor. Um, so yeah, so and and, and again comes with its own unique challenges because because unlike all the events that we've talked about, people come together for a common purpose. They all come together for a common purpose, but but they weren't the groups of people that we would expect that would go to concerts or rugby or football or cricket. These these were the the general population of Great Britain and and other countries that came to pay their respects to uh, a monarch that had dedicated over seven decades of her life to service. So you know, very, very unique and probably not something that we'll see in, certainly not in my lifetime, um, but maybe in my son's lifetime, but you never know. I don't, you know, I, I, I haven't got a crystal ball. I don't know what the future holds, but, but I think it's very, very unlikely we'll see anything of its scale or nature again, you know, and, and just some of the numbers, if I talk about some of the numbers, you know, the Lion in State, four days in London, over 250,000 people um, paid their respects to Her Majesty the Queen. In cases, some cases, people queued for 12 and 13 hours. That was just the queue that they stood in to go into Westminster Hall. That wasn't the traveling time that it took them to also get to London if they came from outside of London. Um, and, and actually, I, I think it says a lot when you queue for 13 hours to spend what was probably a brief moment in time, several minutes in most cases, as you walked through uh, the Hall of Westminster, um, which was a quite a surreal 
place, you know, it was very quiet, but there was hushed voices. There were people talking because that's what would happen. Um, there were people that were, were obviously emotional. There were people that were um, that were paying their respects to our monarch, you know, serving an ex-military and and just the general population. So so the the, the people were just the the general people of our of our country. So they came not just with um, with their illnesses that they would have, their medical conditions, their emotions, um, and as as we know, during COVID, uh, we've we've seen an expansion, a, a, a development around mental health and the challenges around mental health, and and that also was a feature that factored for some of those people. So so very very different dynamics that from what we would normally see at an event. Yeah, and I suppose what we're also looking at here is, um, you know, suppose if you're covering something like a concert, you may start at six o'clock in the evening and you finish at 11 o'clock at night. This was quite a long term event because just when you were answering my, my question, I was thinking it wasn't just the funeral. There were so many sub parts to this as well. Um, you, know, <laughs> my, you know, medical support to a queue which takes, you know, you can be in the queue for 12 hours with somebody with medical conditions. We have to have some sort of medical oversight for there's there must have been so many parts to to this but actually it wasn't just the event it, it was probably something that spanned over the two weeks i think you're you you'd be putting different levels of medical care in, into different parts of the almost a build-up to the scenario so again i suppose a very different dynamic quite a a slow slow onset uh if that's the best way to describe it event with accumulation of the main event would, would that be so I suppose that's a dynamic in itself. Absolutely, because what, what we didn't know, and, and that was the unknown factors of, of this particular uh, operation event, was that we, we didn't know how the public were going to respond. We didn't know if, if a million people were going to turn up or one, because that, that sort of information, you, you just can't tell. We, up, you know, what, what, what we were able to do was base that what we saw in Scotland over that first few days uh, and the lying in rest that occurred in Scotland certainly gave us an indication of what what we would see at the same time things started developing London you know the first person to join the queue was two days before the queue opened in London uh, so they were already queuing for nigh on 48 hours before before the actual official opening wow. on on day five of of the overall operation and you're right we you know this ended up being an 11 day operation um it, it, it as the plans go it was it was the, the the day of death and then 10 days afterwards would be the funeral but because of the occurrence the time the place that uh, our, our, our queen passed away um it the, the day the day itself didn't start until the next day um and that that had you know we, we had a plan that was laid down that took us through what would occur on d plus one plus two plus three and and all the aspects and and you know there were some other changes around the operation live you know um the original plan was for her majesty's coffin to be returned to london via the royal train but a decision was taken that uh it would be um but by via plane so back into raf Northolt, none of our plans took into account that particular aspect of the operation. And, and look what turned out on the media and the number of people that descended upon that small, very footprint of Northolt and the, the motorway um, to pay their respects. You know, they wanted to be the first group of people that, that you know, um, saw Her Majesty arrive back in London. Um, and 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 so it's, it's, it was all those those various elements and and you know and what what we didn't know as I said we we didn't know how many people would come how many people would want to pay their respects but but the differences were were the type of people that come they weren't the concert goers they were the the families young children old people um, you know um, people that that had medical conditions people that were. Uh, you know, wouldn't normally have spent many hours at the side of the road because their medical condition wouldn't allow them to, but but did because of such a, 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 a unique occasion mm. that that they wanted to be part of. No, it sounds absolutely fascinating. It, it also reminds me, we, we did a, a little bit of work with the Hajj uh, when we were looking at their multiple casualty planning. And uh, when we were talking to their director of health uh, for the department that dealt with it, 
one of their biggest things was just the sheer size and diversity of the population that arrives. And yes, trauma is part of it, but actually a, a massive part of their plan was dealing with communicable diseases, providing primary health care, because you, you have the whole spectrum of population in good, bad and indifferent health. And, and it's a huge different dynamic that, that you're dealing with. Um, and as I say, you've got the whole, what you were dealing with, you were, I, I would presume was, for you had pediatrics all the way through to very elderly geriatrics. And that, that's quite a scope in any event, I would think. And, and a very, you've really got to think about all the, the ins and outs of, of, of what the need of that popula population is from, you know, I suppose from a, a primary healthcare point of view. And should there be an, a, an incident, what would be the, the major instant reaction to that diverse population as well? Quite, quite complex, I would think. Absolutely. I, I think your, your, your point around that, that that, that that general diversity of, of what you see what what we saw the line in state queue as an example uh, the particular first day you know the, the queue was 13 hours it went back uh, all the way back into Southwark anyone that knows South London that's that's pretty much from from Westminster back out to to London London Bridge Tower Bridge that sort of part of London and people queuing we had a particular issue one evening obviously it was dark um, and they were using a park but the ground was uneven so what we saw was we saw a, just a little spat of people with slips trips and falls so ankle injuries because of the ground but very quickly the teams from the local authority and the stewarding stepped in and, and the fire brigade actually put up some emergency lighting just whilst they could then put so you know it was it was all very dynamic um we you know across the queue the four days of the queue we saw around about two thousand people with a whole range of different mm. conditions some medical some some quite serious you know fortunately none of those were too serious um but but we also saw a lot of mental health issues because what 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 we've seen is is that increase in mental health problems and, and challenges for people and, and what probably goes unnoticed generally on in London being such a busy place are are people that, that that are suffering from mental health conditions but it was more apparent because there was lots of people around they were talking to people you know there was there were several uh, individuals that that were gonna would, would have attempted suicide had those those uh, you know of, of drop, dropping themselves into the river thames but but was prevented because there were members of the public there at that particular point that the situation occurred so you know so a whole range of different things along with the as i say the various slips trips and falls and accidents that mm. that that people have had what i would also add colin and i haven't probably mentioned them yet is, is st john ambulance uh, we we certainly could not have done our job without their support they they were the contracted medical provider the role of the ambulance services is our statutory provision to provide medical services in london but but st john depend on a, a a unique group of people from across the country that that gave up their time their evenings um and their weekends to come and support the the 10 days of operation um that that needed um that medical assistance to help people look after their emotional health and and illnesses um you know even if that was just a blanket and a bottle of water mm. at that particular point um and 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 so you know i mustn't forget to to say how invaluable that their their work with us is um no. in all of these types of events uh, and particularly during this particular event yeah and, and I, th I think that's such an important point i mean if you look at the I mean, any any time I spent with the St John Ambulance, maybe doing a little bit of teaching for them on, on, on the odd subject is I'm always so impressed at just their their enthusiasm, their, their, their quest to be so professional at what they do, and they volunteer, uh, you know, they don't get paid. Um, but the other thing I picked up from you, and I, I think this is so important, but the, the, the actual act of giving somebody a blanket and a drink of water is so important in, in the scale of everything that we do. That, that touch of humanity to the next human is so important and I have an organization there it's just helping with, with that simple but such important task I say it just it just fits into the matrix of everything that's going on but you know I, I think I, I think you pointed out there was there was from a health planning point of view there was such a foundation on, of everything that happened that day uh, but they did it for free that's it's very commendable.
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with, with, without, without question. Yeah, and when, when we talk about the, the, probably the funeral day in a little bit more detail, I probably, um, I'll, I'll mention some other things about that wider logistics bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely invaluable support that, mm. that we certainly couldn't do without. No, it's, it's good to hear. And, and I certainly appreciate you bringing, bringing them up and uh, giving them the praise that they're, they're absolutely due. So just looking at the sheer size of the event that we've, we've been talking about, where do you start? <laughs> it's, it's I mean, a good question. <laughs> I mean, we obviously you you. I mean, what struck me a little bit about it is we we heard that the Queen was ill and the doctors were concerned. So we, I, I sort of thought there might be a few, you know, a, an amber red flag going up. Something's going on. But very quickly, the, the the announcement of the Queen's death was was announced. So there wasn't a lot of rampant. There wasn't there was it wasn't like a warning of a two to three week illness or anything that we could get and prepared. It was a very acute um, sort of period of time that we had from, there's a health warning that the Queen has died. So, so is, I mean, is there a starting point? Is that take a big breath or where, where do we, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> the, the, the starting point always was uh, the foundation stones that I talked about. So we had plans that were, that were there. Uh, they probably lacked detail because because of all the unknown aspects. But but what they did provide us with was the basis of what to expect, particularly from royal protocol, because obviously that's what we're talking about now. There there is a protocol that has to be followed uh, in terms of the notifications and so on. But there was never going to be an early warning, you know. The uh, and actually, uh, un, un, unusually, I think it would be fair to say. Um, the, the timing of the messaging coming out, as you say, was very, very quick. Uh, we have seen in other circumstances a leak in the media before the formal notifications come out. But I have to say on this occasion, uh, it, uh, they, they acted very um, swiftly uh, and appropriately. And, uh, and that then set in place a number of wheels in motion. Um, the, the, bit, the bit that we, we needed to wait for was that formal declaration of Operation London Bridge, um, which, which then pressed the button on, on the, the plans coming out. But a lot of it was also dependent on the Earl Marshal, because the Earl Marshal has a major role to play uh, in terms of the, royal, the, the protocol uh, and carrying out the wishes firstly of Her Majesty the Queen, in terms of her expectations around what her funeral would look like, but also that of royal protocol and, and the household. Um, so they all have to come together. Um, and so that, that declaration of what I have referred to earlier as D-Day, um, uh, obviously would have been the Thursday, but then, or was it the Friday? I'm, I'm a bit lost on the days. It all happened. Um, I think it was the Friday. Uh, ended up being that the d the day itself was was the Saturday, which then allowed people uh, additional time for in terms of what we needed to do. Uh, it, 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 it was also the slightly different because obviously uh, the, uh, the, the Queen passed away at Balmoral. So so it, it, it actually then built in a number of different levels, you know, in terms of the, the lying in rest. In, in Edinburgh and the, 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 the route from, um, from Balmoral to Holyrood and then into the, uh, the, into the cathedral. So, so all those aspects were, were parts of the plans that have existed for many years because there's always been a plan depending on where such a, a, a situation would occur, whether that be Windsor, Balmoral um, or, or Sandringham because obviously they were the four, four locations. Um, of Buckingham Palace, of course, um, as as to what what we would do and and then how we would go out. So I say, so we had these these plans, these foundation stones that tell us what we would expect, uh, and it all starts off on on D Day, um, and and then the next few days there's a there's a battle rhythm, if I can describe it as that, that that sets the tone. There's a series of meetings that take place. Uh, the household, the Earl Marshal provides a, a series of briefings to key partners and agencies, which also include the military, um, because obviously they have a ceremonial aspect that they then plan and rehearse for. Um, and, and then the plans just go into, into full swing um, with the various aspects of, of, of our, um, I, I guess assumptions is the right word, because there was a load of assumptions we had to make uh, prior 
to any of this happening as as what we might expect expect as, as i'm surely appreciate pre-covid um and covid that we we had different plans that were available for during covid because of social distancing and numbers of people and and all those restrictions lockdown and and how how would we enable the nation to pay their respects under such circumstances so so there was as i say there was a lot of people involved over many years i have to say you know myself uh, involved probably for the best part of my emergency planning career within the london ambulance service uh, and and one of my colleagues chris reeves as who you know who who was an integral part of the planning and the detail that goes into it you know uh, we, we've sort of lived and breathed it for for many years because it, it, you know, even, even though they're light touches, the plans have been there um, because you, that, that's, that's what's required. That's what's expected. Um, and you couldn't not have a plan that, that you would then have to make up on the day. So, and I say the plan just set out what we would expect to do, what we would expect to see, proclamations, um, and, and then the, the floral tributes. You know, how, how amazing was the, the floral tributes from the population, you know, 130,000 people visited Buckingham Palace alone to leave floral tributes, cards and soft toys of Paddington Bear particularly. Um, and, and what I would say about that was, you know, there, there were some, some unique situations that occurred across those few days. You know, uh, at one point, they obviously lots of people left flowers outside Buckingham Palace. Now, as I'm sure you'll appreciate and, and, and listeners will appreciate, uh, those flowers just couldn't stay there. Um, they needed to be moved. So they were moved into the park, um, Green Park. There was also an additional area opened up in Hyde Park for people to go to when the Green Park floral tribute site became full. But the team down on the ground in terms of how they then started to set up that floral garden, I think is the best way to describe it, um, was the unwrapping of flowers and having flowers standing. You know, obviously cards, toys and, and other things like that are a little bit more difficult to manage because of the weather and all those elements that go with it. But they, they arranged flowers. There was people that were there visiting themselves and paying their respects who were unwrapping the flowers and, and dealing with the rubbish because they saw a couple of people doing that so they all started to do that to put the flowers mm. down and you know in terms of the flowers alone the flowers have now been taken to to Hyde Park where they're being composted and and they will then add to the compost that's laid across the Royal Gardens so mm. so nothing's really gone to waste and you know we saw something in the media just recently of the Queen Consort um, with, with a, a whole range of thousands of teddy bears that are now being given to children charities and so on so so there's there's a little bit of a legacy around all of these various mm. aspects of of just that one small piece but significant piece of of floral tributes um that that contribute contribute to this whole auspicious occasion uh, it's, it's just, i mean that's just a wonderful story isn't it um and and you know what i, I suppose i get from that is that i mean I suppose when you switch the news on every day, you get your daily dose of humanities and crisis, but you actually look when humanity pulls together. Um, it's, it's pretty damn impressive. Uh, but the big thing I got from that is really your start point isn't, wasn't on the death of the Queen. It was years and years ago when, we, when you put the plans in place. Um, and, and I think if I'm learning anything, uh, I'm learning lots, but what I'm really coming out from what you're telling me is that a success to really good medical cover to, to to large concentrations of people is very very good planning with adaptability um, that that seems to be absolutely is, is the key to this yeah, yeah. your plan's got to be flexible enough because of the unknown aspects of it but it needs to cover all the reasonable worst case scenarios you know i alluded to there that the covid the challenges that we would have seen when covid would have been quite significant to have managed this event it would have been very different you know we wouldn't have seen the the 200 and you know that half, quarter of a million people that descended upon london uh, on on that monday to pay their respects across those 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 you know that 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 wouldn't have been the case it would have been a very very different mm -hmm. event because yeah. of covid so so it, it but the but the plans need to be dynamic and flexible mm -hmm. enough to to cater for all those aspects it's all the unknown bits as they say colin yeah and i think also what i'm picking up is all all the multiple tentacles you have to, I, I would have never thought 
of the level of detail be behind handling the flowers, which now you've mentioned is an incredibly sensitive thing. Because if, if we were to turn up there with a big bin lorry because they, all the flowers are going off, that would look incredibly unsensitive. But because yes. the right steps were in place, one, we've got an amazing um, legacy, you know, with, with what's going into the Royal Parks and the, the children, uh, the, the soft toys, that, that all the children are getting the benefits from that. We've got real positive outcomes, but it would be so wrong to get, so easy to get it wrong as well and just not think enough about each bit. But there's so many bits to think about that that's that's the thing that I struggle to get my mind ahead, how detailed this has to be and how well executed for this, for the things you would never even think about has to be thought about. Definitely. We've had obviously lots of lots of events, you know, never that funeral is quite different. There's a slight element, but we have a lot of ceremonial events that have taken place in London. You know, we've had we've had three various Jubilee celebrations, one not that long ago, the Platinum Jubilee, which saw London host four days of activity. You know, my first experience of uh, of Jubilee was the, the 2002 Jubilee. Um, and and then obviously, you know, I've been involved with three of them since since that particular point. Um, one as a volunteer, that was 2002. Um, whilst I did work for the ambulance service, I didn't have the same role as I had for the, the golden and um, diamond jubilee, uh, sorry, the, the golden and platinum jubilees. So, uh, sorry, the, <laughs> the diamond and and platinum jubilee um so so so, so quite so quite different but but everything that we do around those events and the people the process the activity all contributes to what what and how we manage such events mm. because you can you can only use what what we what you've seen because because they're you know they don't as i say they don't happen too often mm-hmm. um but 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 that then what i say what then underpins that is that ceremonial aspect of of what our fabulous military do uh and in, in terms of you know the the best show that people can see in the world mm. that is put on by those those the the the, the, the members of our armed forces uh, and the dignity and respect that they carry out their roles with yeah, I can't agree more on that one. I, I mean, I'm, I must admit, when I was watching it, you just feel an, an, an intense sort of feeling of pride and the precision and the dignity. You, you got it right with the dignity they carried off. And it, it was absolutely flawless. Well, certainly for the viewer, it was. I'm sure there was things happening in the background, as, as there always, always are. But uh, it was flawless. But, but just, just moving on, and I think you picked up a really... I was going to ask you about unique stories that that may have come out from from the funeral. I think one of them you've probably already noted this, just how you handle things like the flowers and the soft toys and the cards and and why the attention to detail actually matters so much for for positive outcome. Was was there any other sort of unique stories or unique occurrences that came out from the event? Because stories, I think, are always good to learn from and people remember them well. And anything in particular stands out at all? Do you know, I, I didn't think about the floral tribute being a bit of a story because I was mm. I was struggling to think of uh, unique occurrences because the, the, I think the difficult thing is because of the occasion, the role that that you fulfil, you know, um, there there are many many there, there, there's not many um, uh, how how would I describe it? I suppose I, I have many privileges in my role within the ambulance service, particularly, and the uh, things that I'm afforded, and I and I guess. What what I what I can say is that it, it takes a vast group of people um, to deliver these 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 events these activities with, but being mindful of 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 the occasion. So you know, in 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 normal circumstances for like jubilees and things like that, we'd have pictures being posted and we'd be telling stories and and any anybody famous because you know we have we have staff we have staff are human beings the same as everyone else and and if there's a celebrity or a a member of um, uh, VIP and there's an opportunity to to snap a picture they they take that opportunity. <laughs> However, on on this occasion that that wasn't. The right thing. It wasn't uh, an uh, an expected thing or what you would do. Um, but but what I would say is, is I have had we had across those days a number, of, particularly in the line state, a number of staff that were deployed into the Palace of Westminster um, that that supported the delivery within the Palace of Westminster with the military and the staff, um, the population who paid their respects, which include very many celebrities, very very many VIPs. Um, and and actually the the key part of our role is around discretion um and respect so therefore um you know i i don't i don't really have 
stories mm-hmm. as that, that yeah. I can probably talk about in yeah. that way yeah. mm-hmm. because they, they didn't really sort of present themselves. But I guess the, the main story or that, if I was going to say, was was actually the uniqueness of, of what it was mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and the privilege for me and many of my colleagues um, to have been able to have done what we did um, very much in in the background because obviously without that planning without that preparation things things don't happen but but also to the staff the volunteers and everyone else that that actually delivered it on the day because because as i've said without them it it really wouldn't have been mm. wouldn't, wouldn't have been possible um so yeah so i'm, I'm really sorry that i haven't really no. got any any no, other stories that i could tell you but I'm, it's no, I think I think that was really it was a very good answer, and and I think what I picked up from that is that part of the the success in implementing the plan and and uh, having you know putting on being impeccable and how how we presented the, the the funeral was was actually approaching it with the right tone. Um, I should say there's times in certain events that things are appropriate and they're not, and it sounds like that the whole culture that went through all the organisations that dealt with this was to hit the right tone. Um, it, it was a special event and it merited a certain approach and um, I'm, I'm trying to struggle for the word a little bit, but I, I think tone is probably the word I'll get from it. It had to be very appropriate how people yes. were responding, um, yes. given the, the respect that this event required. Uh, so, and, I, and I think in itself, that, that's, a, that's a, you know, what I suppose we're trying to get from what's, was there any unique stories? Because stories always bring learning points out but yeah I think, I think it's massively unique in itself that's yeah, I think the, yeah and, and all the all the various aspects of it were quite unique you know mm. because there were just just you just didn't know what what was going to play out the weather could have had a major contribution to what happened on those days you know uh, whether it was sunny whether it was hot uh, and whether people came you know the the, the the viewing areas in the ceremonial footprint as I'll describe it at Westminster you know by 10 o'clock on the Monday morning they were full People were being directed to Hyde Park. You know that that was over two hundred thousand people in, excuse me, in, in a very short period of time, who who descended and and took up their places. Some people had been there for days. You know, so it's uh, yeah, yeah. The, the the layers of dynamics just keep going on. So it, it's I mean the sheer size, scale, and complexity is it's it's the only thing I can really put it similar to that I've been involved in is the Hajj. And what struck me with an event that size and the amount of people traveling and moving was just the sheer complexity of, of what the teams were dealing with. And there were so many layers that all required significant detail and, and application to, to keep this thing correct. And, and, and it's, it's, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's the same, but it's the only thing I can get any sort of size comparison on at all on, on, on the, the, just the, the the pure complexity and that, that you had to, to work with and the sheer different dynamics that often yeah. were unknown as well. No, so you, you mentioned the complexity. What I probably haven't alluded to was the, the, security, uh, the, the protective security operation mm. that, that was in around that. You know, you just think about on the Monday, the number of visiting international uh, presidents, uh, world leaders, uh, dignitaries, VIPs and, and royalty that descended onto central London to pay their respects uh, in the service at, at, at Westminster Abbey. And, 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 and that alone, logistically, not just for us, um, but for, for everyone else, closed down massive parts of London. And I say massive parts, but massive areas of a small footprint of London um, that, that people could not move around easily within, especially vehicles. You know, we had to get ambulances in and out. And, and I certainly wouldn't want the the task of um, of Commander Karen Finley, who was the Metropolitan Police Commander for for Operation London Bridges role, uh, because her complexity of her operation alone, in terms of number of police officers, uh, military uh, mutual aid from other police forces, protected people and dealing with all those various complications. You know, our bit was complicated enough about how we, um, you know, where where you could cross, where you could access, where our staff could be deployed from, how we extract people from crowds and how the police support that uh, was was massive. Mm. But but that operation for the police themselves was was so significant, Um, you know, when in in motorcades for for presidents and, Royal, you know, even the, the odd uh, 
across the period where the, the royal members of the royal family uh, decided to stop their cars. You know, there was a, a particular day I remember watching the screen uh, and all of a sudden uh, um, His Majesty the King decided to stop his car as he was turning to go back into Clarence House um, and got out and did a walk around. And, and, and all of a sudden that then closed down that footprint of, of, of the Mall and Queen Victoria Memorial area um, for, for a period of time, which meant nothing could move because the security operation almost puts in a ring of steel. But, but obviously the, the, appreciating the, the complexity of the counter-terrorism and security operation that, that would have been underpinning everything that we've done in London. You know, um, we haven't really talked about terrorism. It, it, it's, you know, but it exists. There was, you know, there, there wasn't a credible threat to this event. However, in the way we plan and the current security of our nation, there's always a threat to anything that would attract large numbers of people. So the operation that goes in around that to, to make London safe, that environment safe, is, is massive. And the people that sit sit behind that and do that uh, probably are the unsung heroes of all of this uh, because without all of those people in that background they wouldn't you know on the day of the the funeral 22,000 people from across the various different agencies so that's medical uh, event stewards police fire military um, the private contractors who provided the stewarding the the the, the GLA who who led the process, and then all the various government departments um, that were involved in delivery. You know, 22,000 people ensured that the, the 250, 60,000 people that were in London that day were safe, were looked after, were protected if anything untowards went, you know, would have occurred. Fortunately, mm -hmm. thankfully it didn't, but, but they're just probably the unseen, unseen part of those operations. And as, and as opposed to what I'm, I'm hearing there is that you, you, you've got the, the, the medical plan that you were in, an integral part with, and there's all these other plans working as well, but none of them are working in silos, they're all interoperable. Um, so you've got pulling your own plan together, then making yep. sure it fits with everybody else's plan over a compressed time period on something very complex. So it's, yeah, it must have made for an interesting few days. It, it really, really did. And I say, um, uh, probably something that we'll we'll look back on at some stage you know we're going through the process now of, of how we debrief what will we learn um you know we have a coronation coming up um and it, you know it's 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 what else do we do differently do we do something differently do we need to you know i have to say overall uh if if you could say it was a success it's fair it's reasonable to say that it was a success you know lots of people were provided the opportunity the uh, event was delivered with dignity, respect, and all those things that we've talked about, um, and enabled people to come together safely to to pay their last respects to, you know, a national treasure, I guess, really. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think you absolutely nailed it. And yeah, I, th I think you're right. <laughs> Ultimately, what was the outcome? You know, certainly what I watched on television, it was impeccable. And, and surely that that's what we can, that's, that's what we've got to be judged against, um, you know, you know, I'm sure you, on, on the background, there was all sorts of moving plates and sort of spinning plates and things moving around to try and try and get organised. But the, the, the finished item was 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 unbelievable. So, so just um, with all your experience in um, dealing with uh, large events and large crowd gathering events and, com you know, specific complex events, is there, a, is there sort of three points you would ever say you could give to your colleague to say if you were looking to maybe come into this area um, as a profession or if you were looking to progress in the area? Would there be sort of three top tips that you could give that that, that people could sort of hang the hat on a little bit and just, just think about? So I think <laughs> I'd probably start with, you know, having a clear process or, or, or framework to follow because what you need is structure that helps you identify all the key aspects and and that's about um the information about what the event is the some of the planning assumptions historical data um and then all the risks that are associated with that because they're they're all relevant to the time the place the location and what the activity is because you know uh, what, what i said like a concert that occurred um last year in a park that's now in a building is very, very different. Um, and, you know, clearly with, 
we we have got Manchester Arena uh, inquest reporting uh, volume two in 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 just under a week, um, and and there'll be some additional changes to to that as well in terms of what we do in that space. So so what I'd say is a clear process um, that you you can identify all those key elements that that formulate a basis of your plan. The the other thing I would say is the flexibility because what what's clear to me in in everything I've, I've ever been involved in you need to have a flexible and dynamic approach because what you expect to happen and what then happens it can be very very different because the factors that are involved you know we talked about weather we've talked about location uh, we've talked about the people the public the people that are attending and and they're all the unknown factors that you can't really predict until almost the time or the day. Yeah, you, you know, for a concert or a, a festival, the certain type of people that would follow that because, because they have a following. So, so that's easy to define. However, what you don't know is how they're going to react on the day and, and, and what happens. So, so I would say to be flexible uh, because the public don't always do what you expect them to do. So you need to be dynamic in, the, in your approach. And then the other thing I would say is expect plans to change at very short notice. And when I say short notice, that could almost be that, that immediate bit that something's occurred and, and, and you need to have your, your plan needs to be flexible enough that it uh, uh, takes in a number of assumptions around reasonable worst case scenario in, 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 in all aspects, whether that be uh, to, for a positive or a negative point of view, you, you need to think about about that. And and I guess the uh, as probably a fourth, but but maybe underpinning all of them is 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 the climate that we're in. You know, we've we've come out of a lockdown and COVID. That was all very very relevant. The the world is changing. The world will continue to change. We we as as emergency planners, as event planners, we need to have that flexible and dynamic attitude to to modify who would have ever thought that this country would have locked down for the period of time that we did that's not to say it could never happen again who had ever thought that you know we'd have a covid that that acted in the way it did so so they're all things we're, we're, we're certainly learning and continue to learn and and as long as you maintain that little that degree of flexibility and you keep that broader view you, you probably won't go far wrong because your plan's never perfect. It can't be because it can't cover every eventuality. But what it needs to do is give you a broad set of assumptions and principles that you can operate to that, that underpin, I guess, that give you the, the key things that you would need to act and respond effectively to manage those situations. Oh, I think those are absolutely superb. And it's quite funny, actually. Um, there's, I think most um, subjects have got some famous person who can, it can, it can put a, uh, a quote into the arena and it sums up emergency planning. Uh, my favourite for this one is the boxer Mike Tyson, that everybody's got a plan until you're punched in the nose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and it really sums up what you're saying, because he would have a plan. He would know how he wants to implement it. But should something different happen, i.e. gets punched in the nose, he will have to adapt yeah. to, to keep that plan working. He still and has he still has the same outcome, which is winning the fight. Yeah. His plan has to change often rapidly, or maybe, or he might actually put a medium term plan in place, but he'll always go in with the plan, but the plan changes. And yes, it's not a scientific quote, but I, I, I actually think it sums up what you said really nicely. Um, you need that foundation. You need to know what you're going with, how you're going to execute what you're going to do. But when it all changes, you may have to change quick and you're going to have to be very flexible. But your outcome is probably not going to change. It's just how you get there will, will, be, will dictate the success, I would think. Um, but lo those are three absolutely amazing points. Um, so just before we, we, we sum up an awful lot of what we've talked about, there, there is always one question we ask all of our guests in TSG Talk. Um, and it, it often gets lots of head scratching. Um, but it's basically, a, if you were to pick one piece of medical equipment that you would always have with you in the vast majority of places that you would be, what, what do you think it would be? 
So it used to be a little bit of a standing joke uh, with myself and a, a couple of colleagues. Uh, one of my former managers, uh, who's now chief executive in Wales, Jason Killings, um, he um, uh, we always used to joke about a number, a number two, or is it a number three ambulance dressing and a good mm -hmm. number three Goodell Airwave? Mm -hmm. Because because no matter where you went, if you needed to, this was particularly around Notting Hill Carnival, uh, they they were really good basic ambulance person tools that that would get you out of a sticky situation not forgetting a pair of gloves if you had them available but but certainly a, a number three dressing in your pocket and an airway uh, because because that would get you out of most sticky situations i say i did i i struggled a little bit to think what else what else i would say but i'd probably stick with those two things because um that uh, I, I guess tradition is, mm. is one thing because because mm -hmm. because that was always an important thing when we left the the deployment center to have in your pocket because you could guarantee you'd find a patient or a patient would find you mm -hmm. um and and could deal with most situations um yeah i think i'll i'll, I'll leave it at that Colin. okay we're going to allow you to i think we can allow you to um what what i often what we finding all the way through tsg talk is that the pieces of kit that people want are not very complex they're all quite simple um and have got multiple uses as well so that you can definitely see a trait of of um, it, it, it's kind of in two areas i think there's there's one trait of um equipment where people go for more knowledge base um and there's another trait which they go for the more physical items but the physical items are all very simple and can yeah. do multiple things. It's, it's quite, it's, it's a fascinating thing to ask people. And uh, you can really see the little cogs turning as the... Uh, it's a difficult one because the there's, there is so many different things that are different situations that yeah. you would that you would take, you know, because the, the other easy answer is, that is, is a pair of gloves, but mm. actually they've, they've got a, a, a use for some things, but then not not for others. Or, mm -hmm. or you could go more complicated and talk about a defibrillator, couldn't you? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, think, I think I'll keep with my simple airway Good. and and addressing we like uh, because that. It's, it's got me out of many, many <laughs> situations um, when a patient's presented themselves. Good. And, and I, th I think that's very good justification. No, Liam, it has been absolutely pleasure talking to you today. Um, just if I can try to summarise what, what I've learned from that is um, I think when you're looking at um, crowd gathering events where, you know, we, we're talking about large amounts of people moving to a particular place for a particular time, what really underpin, underpins the, the potential of a successful medical plan is your preparation. And probably that preparation has taken has been undertaken over a significant period of time. And it's in it, I would say it's the unseen work which equals the success. Um, so I think preparation seems to be a massive part of, of, of this area of, of, of our work. And But with that preparation, what's really coming out from, from what you're seeing and in your experience is that it's all good and well having a plan because that's important. But you've got to understand that that plan may change. It's got to be dynamic. And I, something I picked up very quickly, um, it, that, that plan may have to change very quickly, as I said quickly twice, but it, it, you may not have a lot of time to change that plan. The dynamics might change very, very soon, and you may have to really change quickly in how you implement it. But your outcome's still the same. How you get there, you, you might have to wiggle along, along the road a bit and keep that flexibility on going. That's, that's the big points I picked up from, from uh, this, after, this afternoon. And obviously all the specifics about um, um, the, the Queen's funeral are, are absolutely fascinating. Um, and certainly from, from my point, I would just like to say thanks to yourself and all your colleagues and, and, and the wider emergency services and volunteers, who, you know, who, who just put an impeccable, um, uh, impeccable ceremony together and was a, a wonderful mark of respect to Her Majesty, who, who duly deserved that. But it was very special what you put together. And I think everybody involved should, should be hugely proud of it. So just on that, just before we finish, anything else you can think of that our listeners, that we could mention to listeners? We've probably picked up most things, but have I missed anything? I, no, I don't think you have, Colin. I think you've summed it up really nicely. I, I guess the, 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 the only thing I'd, I'd say is, I, I, again, it, it is the unsung heroes of every operation that, that delivers its success. You know, it's all well and good for me to go, yep, we've done this, it's fabulous. And, you know, I assure my chief exec uh, and, and other strategic partners that, that it's all there, but actually with, without the people, um, particularly 
in, in my wider team, the planning people that, that underpin all of this and spend many, many hours. And then the volunteers, as you've already alluded to, from, from the various agencies and organisations that actually make it happen on the day. Um, it, 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 I, I don't think they probably, you can probably thank them enough there because it's, uh, um, they, they do it because they are committed. It's a unique opportunity. Uh, they, yeah, it's, it, I, I don't know what else I can say, but yeah, but thank you for the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, and, and, and certainly um, for inviting me to, to, to join you. It's, a, it's, it's been a great privilege. No, uh, Liam, absolutely. And uh, likewise from us, absolutely wonderful to, to spend some time with you this afternoon. So th thank you for that, Liam. That, that was a superb conversation and um, I certainly learned a lot from it and I'm sure our listeners will, will really appreciate the, the knowledge you've put across. Um, if you would like to ask any questions on any of the subjects today, we'll, we'll put up um, a, a post up on our LinkedIn page at TSG Associates and the podcast will also be on our, web, on, on our website at tsgassociates.co.uk and all the main podcast sites. So thank you once again, everybody for listening. We'll be back soon with another unique subject and colleague, and we hope to talk to you all again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of TSG Talk. We hope you found the content of benefit. Should you have any questions or require additional information, please visit tsgassociates.co.uk.